0: Hi there, and welcome back to another edition of Upholding Valor. I'm Jill Atwood. I'm the Director of Communications for the VA Rocky Mountain Region, and this podcast is all about veterans, their sacrifice, their service. It's about VA, VA benefits. It's about educating veterans, their, their family members, about the resources, programs, benefits, health care Everything that our veterans have uh, deserve for their their time and their service to our country and their sacrifice. I feel like this is a really special one. Uh, here at VA, we've been celebrating the 50th anniversary, 50th commemoration of the Vietnam War, and I have two veterans with me today, uh, Vietnam veterans, who want to talk about their time in that in that time of our life in that era during the Vietnam War. Uh, both as it was happening and then when they came home. I want to talk a little bit about the, the history of VA and how things have changed since then and really quite to the point, have have we made up for it as a society? Um, as, as a VA healthcare entity, we've come so far. Have we made up for the treatment of Vietnam veterans when they come home? I mean, I was just a baby. I don't remember. Uh, but I've heard and read and, and studied, and so I'm so anxious to hear from these gentlemen, Jack Johnson, and I have Steve Presswich. Thanks, guys, for Thank being you here. For Thank you for having us. Delighted I, to be here. Yeah, I so appreciate this, and I know this is kind of an emotional topic, and so we'll talk about whatever you want to talk about. Uh, if you know, if you're comfortable talking about certain things, sure, let's let's hear it. But let's just kind of see where this. This goes, and, and I I talked to these two gentlemen about a week ago, and they started telling me their stories, and I'm like, we have got to do a podcast on this. I've got to document and get some of these stories down so we don't forget. And we have come far, thank goodness. So, Jack, I want to talk to you a little bit uh, first. Um, tell me about your service in Vietnam uh, uh, briefly and, and and what you did during the war.
1: Well, let's go back to 1966. And uh, one day the postman came, and along with that was a a greetings from my Uncle Sam. Right. And he invited me to join the United States Army.
0: You were voluntold.
1: Voluntold. Yes. (laughs) That's right, voluntold. But, you know, I was a patriot. I was raised on a farm, uh, and farmers were all pretty well patriots. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I wanted to go. I was prepared. Uh, I recall going up to... uh, uh, Fort Douglas, uh, right here in Salt Lake City, where I was inducted. And um, and probably that day there were 200 of us inducted the same day. Mm-hmm. And uh, we all trained together. We shipped out together, went to Fort Lewis, Washington first, and then from there to uh, Fort Ord, California, where we did advanced training and jungle training. You were Army? I was Army. Okay. Preparation for Vietnam interesting uh, story which fits into this uh, because it's just by happenstance that you get sent to Vietnam or you get sent somewhere else. The morning that we, uh, one morning we got up and we were going to to Chow and they said, well, when you come back from Chow, there will be underwear on your bed. If it's white, you're going to Germany. If it's camouflaged, you're going to Vietnam. Mm -hmm. And of course, mine was camouflaged. Right. So we, um, within uh, 48 hours of that, we were loading on uh, aircraft flying out of uh, uh, Travis Air Force Base on our way to uh, Tonsonut Air Force Base in Saigon. And we weren't allowed to tell our parents. We weren't allowed to tell anyone that we were going. It was a secret uh, 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 group of us flying over. And and you
0: didn't know how
1: long you'd be gone? No, we knew it was going to be a full period, uh, one year and uh, but we really didn't know much more about it than that but when we got there uh, there was a different world that none of us had ever seen before there's a there's a special odor about war i think mm-hmm. but in and vietnam when you come down from flying over and you go through about a 10,000 foot level all of a sudden you have a new permeation going through the airship and and it's a smell that you'll have the rest of the year that you're over there. Okay. Uh, you never get rid of it.
0: Can you describe it? A sewer. Okay.
1: Much like a sewer. Okay. And um, so then when we landed, uh, just the very next day was Tet. And Tet is a day that they destroyed many of our, our veterans. Mm-hmm. And uh, Tet is the time of year. It's, uh, it's their uh, New Year's Eve. And, uh, it, and if mm-hmm. Vietnam or uh, the, the Asians felt that time that they could win that war then the rest of the year was going to be good so my second day in country was one of uh, seeing fire and hearing fire and and uh, it was it was upside down for the rest of that year
0: wow tell me what you did in Vietnam, what your what your job was specifically, and uh, you you talked about the smell. Um, tell me any other memories, things that stand out in your mind. Sure. That you still sure remember like they were yesterday. Well,
1: and some of those will hang on because of the PTSD. Sure. Uh, so when I was trained as a uh, as an eleven Bravo, which is a combat soldier. Okay. And uh, so when I went to Vietnam, that was my assignment. And I realized by watching what was going on that if I stayed at 11 Bravo, uh, my chances of living were very slim, uh, perhaps uh, maybe one to two out of 10.
0: You're thinking that to yourself at, t- at what age?
1: Oh, I was 23 years old. Wow. So I'm I'm thinking that to myself and talking to my comrades mm-hmm. and to my officers and they say, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a short chance of getting through this.
0: Oh, my goodness. Well, so
1: one of my sergeants said to me, uh, he said, I, I think you mentioned you're an artist. And I was. Uh, my degree was in commercial art and uh, as a sculptor. And I told him, and he says, you know, you could, you could be an artist over here. You don't have to be an 11 Bravo. You don't have to be a combat soldier. And he said, all you have to do instead of being drafted is enlist. You can do that over here. Once you enlist for three years instead of two, mm-hmm. then they'll let you change your MOS. Now, MOS is Military Occupation right. Specialty. So I changed my MOS to an artist, to an a illustrator. Smart man. Yeah, well, it was, it was something I could do. Sure. Uh, give of my service and come out alive. Yeah. So I, I did right there, and I became a, a, a an artist, and my job was to record the war as an artist would see it. Uh,
0: so sketching, drawing, yeah, or photos, go, we'd, or we'd
1: go out into the field, uh-huh. and we'd we'd ride out in helicopters, photograph the wars. Yeah, generally after the scrimmage, so I didn't have to shoot anyone. I rarely got shot at, and which is why I'm here to tell the story. Yeah, but I would take photographs and go back to the base camp and paint them.
0: Then
1: mm-hmm. those paintings would uh, be shipped to the War Historical Library in Washington D.C. And they've had artists in the in the combat situation since uh, since the very first war hmm. was recorded, and uh, they still do. Uh, and uh, War Historical Library in Washington D.C. is something that you should see if you never have yeah. a, a real treat. Absolutely. But I did see what was going on in the war. I had a taste of it, uh, as close a taste as I would ever hope to get. But. Um, uh, I think what we saw over there, more than anything, was what was going on with the people.
0: Sure. And the children, The children. You know, I
1: remember the stories of the kids. We lived in tents. I lived in a place called Tent City B, just outside of Tonson Air Force <laughs> Base. And everything that we did was in tents. Right. And um, so every morning as we would go to work from our tents over to other tents where we went inside and did our work or, or to the air base, Uh, we walked past a uh, temporary orphanage and it was surrounded by concertina wire and behind the wire were little children from perhaps age three to I'm thinking 13 or 14. And these skinny, skinny, skinny little children would reach their little hands through the concertina wire and beg for food or whatever we had. And so we would always save a little something from Chow Hall in our pockets so we could hand out to them. And one day, my mother had sent me an apple. I never thought of an apple being precious. Right. But I had an apple in my pocket, and so I handed the apple to a young girl. Perhaps she was, I would think, 8 or 10. And I visited with them for a while, and she started eating the apple at one end and ate it all the way through, oh. core and everything. And I <laughs> she says, had
0: never had an she apple She would never before. had an apple.
1: And I say, no, we eat an apple like this. And right. I, I showed her how to eat She said, no. We don't waste any food. Yeah. So she ate it from one end to the other. Oh,
0: my goodness.
1: Changed my perspective entirely.
0: Yeah, and you have another story about yeah. an even uh, younger child. Yeah,
1: you know, there was a story it, uh, it happened to me personally. Uh, we were walking again to work. Mm-hmm. We walked past kind of a bombed out building. Uh, it was not occupied, it was perhaps a two story building. It looked like at one time it might have been a, a retail store of some kind. hmm. And in front of the store, there were a bunch of cardboard boxes in front of the door as though they were clogging up the front door so no one would try to go in. And as we walked past the boxes, I saw one of the boxes move. Mm -hmm. And I thought, this isn't good. And we were trained that any time we saw something like that, we would investigate it close enough that we could tell someone to go in and check it out. And so I walked closer to the little box. And as I did, I saw a little foot come out from underneath the box. And it was a, I don't know, a three- to five-year-old child. And uh, so we communicated, him, we had some Vietnamese people with us who could also translate. And I had a little tiny bit of Vietnamese and uh, found out in conversation with this young lad that he is, uh, both of his parents were gone. Now, whether they'd been killed in the war, we don't know. Right. But, but they were not there. He was living on his own. And I asked him if he was hungry, and he says, yeah. He was hungry. So we took him with us. No one was there to care for him, so we'd ask him if he'd come with us, and he did. Took him to a little Vietnamese restaurant that was made out of cardboard. Cardboard and perhaps wood and, and maybe some metal from whatever they found mm-hmm. laying around. That's mm-hmm. how they made their buildings. And I I asked the person who was doing the cooking, the chef, but well, not hardly a chef, he's a, sure. a farmer who was cooking. I asked him if he would care for the young man. If I gave him some money, would he watch him for the full month? And he agreed. And I think I gave him $20, as I recall. And so he fed the young man for uh, for the full month. And then at the end of that month, I gave him another 20 fed him for another month. And I did this for two or three months. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the little boy became quite friendly. We became friendly sure. with, the, with the guy that had the little restaurant and... and uh, and then one day as I went out in the field uh, on assignment, um, I uh, uh, was in. I was flying in the helicopter. I got really, really sick. And mm-hmm. I told the captain, I says, Captain, we've got to get on the ground. And um, uh, he said, well, uh, you can't be sick. You don't get sick flying. And I said, no, sir, that isn't it or something else. Mm-hmm. So we got on the ground, and I, I got out of the helicopter and walked over to the side of, of where we had uh, landed. And I started throwing up blood. And uh, I, so what I had was a, a bleeding ulcer. Oh,
0: geez. And, from and the stress of being From in the a stress a
1: of the war, I guess. War yeah. yeah. And so he put me back in the helicopter. I passed out from the lack, lack of blood. I woke up, and when I woke up, I was in Japan. Sure. In medevac. And uh, so I never got to go back to see what happened to this little boy.
0: And you probably always wonder. Always oh, oh, I wonder day. to this day. Yeah.
1: I mean he would today he would be 60 years old.
0: Yeah. And the irony of that story is when when you came home many of you were called baby killers.
1: We were. We'll we'll talk about that in a moment. Yeah. 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 Take me a moment just to collect my thoughts. Yes,
0: yeah. absolutely. But here you are a soldier over there paying special attention to and taking care and befriending the people, I just find that story very ironic.
1: Well, you know, the here's the the thought about that. Um, there was a time in America where young people, we think of them as hippies, whether they were or not, sure the, that era at least, uh, they were told one story. Uh, we were living another. It's true. We were never in Vietnam, nor in the war. We were never there uh, because we wanted to harm anyone. We were there first place because they drafted us. Right. Second place, we were patriots. Uh, we, we seriously wanted to serve our nation and that nation. And so when we came home from Vietnam, now we're getting back to what you were just sure, alluding to. Sure, sure. Uh, I, I came into San Francisco. That was my base when I came back into uh, the Presidio of San Francisco. Very proud of where I had been. Mm-hmm. I, I had by that time become a non-commissioned officer, a sergeant, and I had my ribbons on, my full uniform, my dress uniform, and I was proud. And I thought, well, I'll to go downtown and and uh, and and be welcomed as a hero. I remember my father when he came back from World War II was a hero. They had sure. parades for them. So I walked down, uh, took the trolley, and went downtown and went into a restaurant. My first encounter in the restaurant. Uh, was the owner of the restaurant coming over, and he said, we don't serve your kind here. Uh, I said, well, what do you mean my kind? I'm a soldier. I just came back from the war. And he says, no, that's what I mean. We don't serve your kind here, and he asked me to leave. And when I did leave, and he escorted me out, actually, several people followed, three or four men, and uh, when I got outside, they spit on me, and they called me baby killer. And I was—I was not a killer. Nor was certainly was I a baby killer. I—I I, I loved people. I loved humans.
0: You were stereotyped from what they'd been exactly. told what or, they or been seen. Told. Which? What were they told? I guess I'm not sure. I'm not sure I understand.
1: Do you know, Steve? Do you remember who started yeah, those and, stories? Yeah, and Steve and from? Steve
0: was a Marine.
1: Yeah, you were a Marine. Marine
0: during Vietnam and experienced the well, same it, it, things. I, I do
1: know it had something to do with the drug culture. And with the media and all of those stories were floating. I'm not sure exactly where they started.
2: I think, you know, at the period of time that Jack joined the service, you know, at the, the attitude of, of American people at that point, you know, were patriotic. You mm-hmm. know, we were in this for a reason. Uh, uh, we uh, were there to help, mm-hmm. you know, the South Vietnamese and so on in whatever endeavors we could sure um um so you know that i I actually uh think what happened you know is is like jack said you know we had the uh you know drugs and all this other stuff going on you know during that period of time that maybe changed the perspective that these yeah. people had
0: make love not war everything exactly. was peace
2: and, and there was burn, a very and
0: progressive and then, movement happening and, and at that burn time burn your and cards
1: but, burn your draft cards sure.
2: and then there was of course you know the uh, national democratic you know convention you know and they had people anti-war uh, personnel there you know that were you know um i call you know um Speaking their propaganda, sure, sure. In a sense, you know, it kind of changed their attitude as well.
0: But there's a difference between anti-war and anti-soldier. I mean, everybody knew that. Right. That the young men and women over there were not there because most of them didn't choose to be there. No,
1: they didn't know difference. Well, they, they had they no difference. They did no, no. Hmm. If they saw a soldier or ten of us, right. or, or a platoon, we were the bad guys. Right. Mm-hmm.
2: I, I think. One of the things that changed I know I uh, before I joined the Marine Corps mm-hmm. at the ripe age, of eighteen years old, I watched T V for three years, uh from fifteen until the time I enlisted in mm-hmm. the Marines, uh, about the Vietnam War. And, and what th- did you hear? The massacre at Mike or Mylai, excuse me. Um uh, and and that was it made all the news. Mhm. Uh, besides the fact of all all these Marines, at least in the TV shows I was watching, you mm-hmm. know they were centered on the Marines being loaded up, you know bodies being loaded up in Deuce and a Half trucks and hauled off, and it made you, for me, it made gave me purpose, you know to to go ahead and say I need I, I need to get involved in this. Mm-hmm. I'm patriotic, you know I love my country. I want to do what he can and so
0: but there was no thought of your sacrifice or service or the fact that you had lost so many friends and seen such atrocities there was no empathy
1: I think the only ones that cared uh, about that were our families sure and the families of the loved ones we lost Mm -hmm. I didn't finish one story about when we uh, we went through induction at uh, here in Salt Lake City at Fort Douglas Three of the young men that went in with me uh, didn't last 30 days in mm-hmm. Vietnam. And so uh, I've seen their names on the wall yeah. in Washington, D.C., and it's, uh, it's very dramatic. Um, but
0: and you still probably remember their faces. Of course, from, of course. Yeah. I remember
1: their names, their faces. Yeah, yeah. I remember the stories they told about being on the farm and how yeah. they came off a farm. And that's why they were they were good marksmen because we've all shot pistols and rifles since we were children Mm -hmm. and so we all did very well in in training yeah Uh, but these boys uh, uh, they went in as the same mos i had which is 11 bravo combat soldier and with less than 30 days they were they were killed
0: my goodness
1: now the hippies didn't care about that they never even brought it up They, they really didn't care
0: did they not know? Were they not educated? Or they well, just didn't care. Just didn't care. They had to see TV. Yeah. Well,
2: that, that's where it's all coming from is that they were watching TV and what was on TV at the time, you know, portrayed the military as something totally different than what it really was. That's true. And that's, I mean.
0: Agenda driven, you feel? Yeah, or just being, yep. just broadcasting what they were being fed?
2: Mm hmm. Yes. I, my, what was available? I think. Um, I think some of the uh comments like Baby killer' and so on that mm-hmm. we received were just absolutely a result of what they saw on t v mm-hmm. again bringing up my life, which it showed the massacre of Vietnamese families, women, and children included by u s army forces okay not to pinpoint that particular group because i 'm sure, sure you know it happened in all branches of service. But I think that's where that caused the American public to look at it and and look at people in uniform and say... You were the symbol. This is what you've... Good point. Good point. This is what you did. This is what you're doing.
0: And then fueled by the anti-war protests, and you were actually involved... In one of those, talk yes. to me about that day and yep. what you saw and, and what you did.
2: Just before I got out of the Marines in 1971 itself, uh, we were called um, our our particular unit itself. It was Marine Aviation Detachment, and mm-hmm. we were on a naval missile base itself, where we tested aircraft that was being used in Vietnam. So uh, there, um, for couple of years going now you know there'd been anti-war demonstrations um on and off and our our detachment itself was deployed to assist the california army national guard and the los angeles sheriff's department in a anti-war uh, protest that was a thousand strong and it was difficult for us in in that sense um simply with our M14s locked and loaded, so on, in uniform, and so on. Wow. To then, you know, be, you know, um, not attacked, but, you know, well, I, I guess you can say attacked, you know, by the Well, you're the, the bad guys. Of,
0: you're the bad guys again. And
2: that's exactly what they were coming after, is they were coming after the people in uniform, With the same kind of comments, you know, you know, like stupid things like, you know, well, you know, how many babies and children and families did you kill, you know, and so on. Not
0: something that you would even be able to respond to. Well, you know, they were just
2: parroting what
1: they heard on television. Exactly. They were almost taught to say, say these that. words. sure. And so I think the first time you and I talked about this, you said, well, you must be the one that we've always heard about yes, this story. Yes, yes. No, it was all of us. Yes. And it was because they were taught well, to Well, you say were the words. symbol to me. Yeah. You,
0: when, you, when you said that, it's like, well, yeah. we've, we've heard this story. And there's no way being shocked and, and riddled with PTSD that you could ever be able to pull someone aside and articulate what you'd really been through and what it was really all about.
1: And then we get to the real point of the matter. It didn't end mm-hmm, then. Mm-hmm. In fact, the only thing that ended was our officers told us, take your uniforms off, let your hair grow.
0: And blend in.
1: Simulate into the the culture
0: mm-hmm.
1: and, and zip it up. And so we did. I zipped it up for 40 years.
0: And that's part of the problem.
1: I didn't tell anyone, my family, my doctors, anyone, Mm -hmm. that I had these nightmares that went on every night. And in my nightmares, we won't even talk about what went on there. I mean, they were atrocious. And that went on for 40 years until someone at the VA Mm -hmm. about 10 years ago said to me, you know, all these things are pinned up inside. It was one of my doctors, mm-hmm. and and she said, "You've got to let this out." She said, "I'm going to make you an appointment to see a psychiatrist here at the Veterans Hospital," and and so I went to him, and and I said, "Well, sir, I've had these nightmares every night for 40 plus years," and he said, "Well, tell me about them," mm-hmm. and I said, "I'll tell you on on uh, with one uh, caveat," and he said, "What's that?" and I said. You turn off your recording device, you don't write it down, and it's between you and I. Sure. And he agreed. So I told him my stories. And after he heard my stories, he said, well, let me just ask you one simple question. Were they, because in my my nightmares, I had to take people out. Mm -hmm. That's a nicer Mm -hmm. word. And he said, were they good guys or were they bad guys? I said, no, no, always bad guys. They're coming at me to kill me, or to kill my family, or to kill my neighbors. And he said, and so what you did was valiant. You were protecting yeah. yourself and your family and your loved ones. He said, no, I, you're not in any trouble for that. No. He said, tell me the rest of the story. So then, for the first time, I was allowed to talk about it
0: and maybe make a little peace. Well, make with peace with,
1: within my own heart and to let me know that I was normal as, I was as normal as all of the other 500,000 vets
0: that were over there. Sure. And I'm sure you can relate to this, Steve. I
2: think it's fair, you know, to say that, uh, uh, none of us wanted to talk about things, you know, the, um, literally the verbal abuse and so on that uh, we did put up with, you know, in a, Society that we thought was behind us, you know, a hundred percent, you know, was just it. It was downright depressing, it really was. And that's you know that's why it, when I came home, I, I had to sit down, you know, and, and thank oh, goodness for my mom. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> she sat me down and got me through. You know some of my feelings, and she said, "What you need to do, Steve, is decide how you can resolve that." Well, I did decide. And that's why I spent so many years working for the VA, serving the veterans that I served with.
0: And we thank you for that. You do thank some you. great work, and you. you have for a long time, Steve. Thank you for thank you for your service. And you're right; I mean, it's difficult enough to talk about um horrific experiences and war we know from the current conflict but you add into it the societal pressure and 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 the hatred and i can see why everybody zipped it up for so long mm-hmm. and now we're seeing all of you decades later finally coming it, forward yeah and,
1: in the late 90s uh it it kind of changed i don't know when it was almost Changed overnight. Sure. That all of a sudden people would come up to you and they'd say, Thank you for your service right. and welcome home. Right. Now they did that because the boys were coming back from the Gulf War. Right. But they extended it to us. Mm-hmm. And so all of a sudden we felt like, Hey, we could wear a military ball cap, Mm -hmm. and we could wear maybe a jacket that had a military logo on it, and we could be proud again. Mm -hmm. And so I did. I started back then. I still do today. I wear a military hat when I'm driving my car.
0: Well, I know as a longtime VA employee and someone who specializes in communication and reaching out to veterans to make sure that they're taking advantage of the benefits, we saw this as an opportunity to re-engage the the Vietnam veteran with, with the current conflict, because we knew that you you were hearing and seeing something and it might have just been triggering enough to bring you back to us to give us give us another shot my question is have we done enough to make up for it and where do you think we we stand now what what more can can VA do and i'm sure the um it sounds like our our new combat veterans have have certainly Learned from, uh, learn from the Vietnam veterans. I know a lot of Vietnam veterans offer guidance and 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 mentoring. Does that make you feel better, any better about things? Are we of course? Are we where we need to be now?
1: Well, so much better than you were. Oh, so much better. Now we still haven't had a parade, and (laughs) and we never will. Uh, have the parade welcoming us home. That'll never happen. Right. We don't expect that now. But what you are doing has made us feel like we're worthy people. Mm-hmm. And we're worthy of having someone help us. Yes. We're worthy of telling our story and being totally honest about our story. Get yeah. it out and talk to our psychiatrists. Uh, here at the VA hospital, uh, I think almost every Vietnamese soldier, or you know, the soldier who fought in Vietnam or any other combat, Comes through the door and we welcome and greet them and care for them as brothers. Right. And it is a whole new world of of
0: treatment. Steve and Jack are uh, volunteers up here That's at the right. VA Medical Center. I I want to mention this um, before I let you go. I want to talk a little bit more about um, Vietnam veterans and some presumptive illnesses. So, of course, enroll for VA healthcare. If you had a bad experience, you're you're struggling. Um, you know, 20, 30 years ago, you gave us a shot and it didn't work out. Please come back because like Jack and Steve mentioned, things have changed and it's, it's way different. It's way different now. Um, Rules have changed. um, You know, claim rules have changed. Healthcare rules have changed. um, And there are certain illnesses and diseases that Vietnam veterans with boots on the ground um, were, are prone to. They're called Presumptive illnesses uh, because of the exposure to Agent Orange. And let's run through that list quickly, Steve. Um, I'm thinking you know it pretty clearly off the top of your head. I could probably add to some of it.
2: Yeah, I, I can, you know, I can name a few. Sure. In itself. Uh, you know, there's quite a few now. Uh, of course, it all started uh, about 1988 mm-hmm. when VA finally recognized post traumatic stress disorder sure. uh, instead of battle fatigue or. Anything else is a cause, you know, for um, some of the mental health issues that a lot of these people were going through.
0: PTSD is pretty much a foregone conclusion now. Yep, if yeah, you were yep, boots on yeah, the ground and yeah, in Vietnam, yeah. so you're struggling, and yep. uh, well, uh, other
1: things like diabetes, diabetes, right. diabetes. If you, I was diabetes exposed two. to Agent Orange, mm-hmm. and so I have diabetes mm-hmm. and neuropathy, heart attack. Stroke. So
0: ischemic heart disease. Yes. Uh, I want to say um, prostate. Plus cancer, cancer as well are, are just a few. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if you're a Vietnam veteran and you're hearing this and you're like, hey, I have diabetes or, mm-hmm. hey, I've had heart troubles. Well, mm-hmm. we need you to get in here in pronto. That's
1: right. And they will take care of you. Yeah.
0: They I mean, absolutely you will.
1: will. You will find almost immediately the first day they interview you, mm-hmm. they're going to say, "Did you have boots on the ground?" Right. And if you say yes, I had boots on the ground in Vietnam, they're going to say well, you're entitled to a certain amount of things, and and then they tell you what your entitlements are. And they find out what your illnesses are. Right. And in some cases, they can slow them down. They can't prevent them. Some of those illnesses we're going to be, we're going to have, and we're going to have to live with.
0: And they can help with the nightmares as well, as you can attest to, Jack. Gentlemen, thank you so much. Is there anything else you want to touch on before we go? I know it's been kind of an emotional 30 minutes or so. I think it's something
1: we have to say is that we're grateful. We're grateful for what we have. And we're grateful for volunteering where we can help our fellow man. And uh, you've heard me say before, I, I never go home at the end of a volunteer day that I don't shed tears and it's because we 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 have a special feeling with our comrades. Sure. We don't have to tell them what it is. If they know we were there, we know they were there. We speak the same language. You
0: don't even have to say a word. Don't have to say a word. Right. No. Steve.
2: I just I just love the fact that we can now wear our, you know, marine hats and whatever any kind of, you know, military insignia, you know, to identify us, you know, and somebody who has served and you know, it's like Jack said. You know, you, they'll they'll see you walking down the street. Yeah. They know. You know, they have that persona that they can, you know, they can pinpoint. You know, who's right. a veteran, who's not. I'm I'm happy. You know, just simply for uh, what I've done, and uh, <clears throat> and then I'll continue to do that for as long as I can.
0: And Steve helps uh, some of our younger veterans with their, with their claims and helps yep. them navigate the VA system. We so appreciate both of you. Okay, so on March 29th at the VA here in Salt Lake City, uh, we're having a 50th anniversary celebration. For It's not a parade. No, that's but right. we're 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 getting there. Uh to um just acknowledge our Vietnam veterans. That's gonna be in the lobby starting late morning. We're gonna take photographs of every Vietnam veteran that wants their picture taken. And uh it's just our way of, of giving back a little bit here at VA. Thank you both for being so candid and, and vulnerable. I appreciate it
1: thanks for
2: being thanks. part of it and yes. yes. remembering Thank, thanks for having us
0: Thank you for your service most of all, and thanks for joining us for another edition of upholding valor. We'll see you next time.